Hi, I'm Johanna Ferreira, content director of Pop Sugar Juntos. Juntos is all about celebrating Latin A culture, pride, our many intersectional identities, and joy. Thanks to support from Prime, there's so much to get into over at Juntos this month. From conversations with the Latin A minds behind our favorite new movies and resurrected TV shows, to thoughtful celebrity commentary and exclusive interviews with some of the biggest Latin music artists today. And it doesn't stop there. Get more of the music, movies, and shopping you love on Prime. Whatever you're into, it's on Prime. Visit Amazon.com slash Prime to get more of whatever you're into from streaming to shopping. And get all of our latest coverage at PopSugar.com slash Juntos. Con amor, Johanna. I think we can all agree the current political moment is fraught. But how does it compare to the other fraught political moments in history? It felt for a time in part of that decade like everything was falling apart. Young people against old people, anti-war violence, peace movement. I'm former U.S. Attorney Preet Bharara, and this week, presidential historian Doris Kearns Goodwin joins me on my podcast, Stay Tuned with Preet. We talk about difficult times in America's history and how its people overcame them. The episode is out now. Search and follow Stay Tuned with Preet wherever you get your podcasts. This episode contains language that may not be suitable for everyone. To begin tonight, I was patrolling the area around the supermarket, right around my windows down, and I saw a black SUV driving a little erratically. This is police officer John Edwards speaking with investigators in the early morning hours of December 31st, 2008. Edwards was a police officer in Bel Air, Texas, right outside of Houston. And I stopped at the end of the street and watched the vehicle for a minute as it parked in front of a residence. Two males got out and they observed me looking at them, looking back at my vehicle. As I passed the vehicle, I ran the plate and it returned as a stolen vehicle. Stolen vehicle. Confirm tag. Six, nine. We're listening to what Officer Edwards heard, indicating that the SUV was stolen. Warning, potential hit. The two young men, both African-American, were now out of the car and walking up the driveway towards the house. Edwards called for backup and got out of his car. As soon as I exited the vehicle, that said, stop, please, let me see your hands. And both of them began saying, fuck, it's the police, what, why are you fucking with us, why are you messing with us? And it's just a lot of profanities, a lot of... Basically, they, they didn't think I should be here in the first place. And I, I told them I've got a stolen hit. I said that the vehicle turns to be stolen. They're driving a stolen vehicle. Did you have your gun out at this point? Yes, sir. As soon as I exited the vehicle, I had my gun out. Officer Edwards ordered both men to get down on the ground. That's when the front door opened, and Marion and Bobby Tolan saw their son face down on the front porch. A second officer arrived on the scene, Sergeant Jeffrey Cotton, and he tried to move Marion Tolan towards the garage. Here's Sergeant Cotton speaking to investigators. As I'm trying to move her, she's resisting, she's not really cooperating. I take both hands and start to move her toward the garage. She turns around, says something to the effect, and I don't remember exactly what a word was, but something to the effect of, get your hands off me. It may have been some profanity as well. I look back to her to keep moving her forward, and I hear him start to yell. I look, he gets up and starts, he may have taken a step toward me, uh, and he's yelling, get your hands off her. He's got his hand like he's digging in his waistband. At this point, I'm thinking, I can't believe this guy is really, 
okay, he's, he's really got a weapon. I can't. And I see that he's standing up. I start yelling, stop. At this point, I pushed her, drew my weapon, and I'm backing up. You know, at this point, he's facing and his arm's coming up. So I fired twice. The suspect fell backward and rolled back onto his stomach again. The female here was, was screaming. I held for a minute until I felt like I could approach him. He was no longer acting threatening. Now he's just kind of laying on the ground moaning. When you did approach the suspect, after you had fired your round, you did approach the suspect. Um, you checking for any weapons at that point? Yes, I did. I checked his waistband, his pockets, underneath him, uh, and I did not find a weapon. Sergeant Cotton shot 23-year-old Robbie Tolan in the chest at close range. Cotton said that night and repeatedly since that he shot Robbie Tolan in self-defense. When he came up, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, I can't believe this guy's you know, pulling a weapon. I mean, he's coming up and I'm thinking, don't do it, don't do it. And he's still coming and he's reaching from his waistband. And, you know, I, I mean, I've got a wife and five kids. So. That's hard to hear, but what he said is that he has a wife and five kids. Lately, we've been hearing a lot about police officers shooting unarmed black men, allegedly in self-defense. But one thing makes the Tolan story different from those we've seen in the news lately. It felt like a sharp pain at first, and then it actually hit me. It literally feels like, you know, an elephant is standing on your chest. That's the only way I can really describe it. Robbie Tolan is still alive. Not only did he survive the shooting, but he didn't even pass out. And when he tells the story, the shooting did not happen the way the officers say it did. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. The Tolans moved to Bel Air, Texas in the early 90s. After Bobby Tolan retired from playing Major League Baseball, he played for the San Diego Padres, Cincinnati Reds, St. Louis Cardinals, a bunch of teams. Robbie is the Tolan's only child, and back in 2008, he was following in his father's footsteps, playing for the Washington Nationals minor league team. He and his cousin Anthony had gone out to dinner and to play pool with friends. His parents were still awake when they heard him pull up just before 2 a.m. Bobby Tolan remembers that they heard his car, and then they heard yelling. The noise got a little bit louder, so then my wife and I, we went outdoors, and that's when we found out all the commotion, what it was about. Um, I was standing in front of a person who had a weapon and a flashlight, and I told him that this was my son, uh, my house, I live here, and that was Robbie's car, because Robbie said when I walked outside that, Dad, they said we stole a car. And I said, no, this is my son, my house, his car. And at that point, I was taken over to my Suburban that was in the driveway at gunpoint. The Tolans continue to try to explain to Officer Edwards that the car wasn't stolen, that there must be some misunderstanding. They were both in their pajamas. Here's Marion Tolan. And I was saying, this is a big mistake. You guys are really, you've really done it now. This is a big mistake. So then I heard a voice behind me say, get against the garage. And I turned around and I saw there was another police officer behind me. And he said, get, I said, are you kidding me? He grabbed me by the arm and he threw me against the garage door. 
And he grabbed me so tightly, I had bruises on my arm. And and it was a medical garage door, so it made a just horrific sound. And it really startled Robbie, I'm certain. And so Robbie, you know, pushed himself up on his knees to the right, because we were to Robbie's right. And he said, get your hands off my mom. He didn't say it that nicely. I said, get your fucking hands off my mom. And he didn't say a word. He, he, he just looked and pulled his gun and shot me. Robbie Tolan and his mother both say he pushed himself onto his knees, but that he didn't make any movement towards Sergeant Cotton. They also say Sergeant Cotton gave no warning before firing his gun. This is not what Sergeant Cotton told investigators just four hours later. He comes up this way, and as he turns and stands, he's probably standing, you know, right around here. He turns and starts. He may have taken a step toward me. I see that he's standing up. I start yelling, stop. I don't remember what else. I know I yelled, stop. I don't know what else I yelled. It may have been uh, get on the ground. That's something I would normally yell or get down, something like that. Uh, I'll show you the baseball field, Bel Air baseball. We flew to Houston to meet with the Tolan family, and Marion drove us around the Bel Air neighborhood where they used to live. A lot of new development. What was it that made you want to move into this neighborhood in the first place? Because it was in the city, it was close to everything, and they had a very good baseball program, Little League, and the high school was right here. Bel Air High School has been the number one in the state many times, and... So it was, it was just a nice place to raise my son, I thought, you know? Bel Air is an affluent community, mostly white. In 2010, African Americans made up 1.6% of the population. The Tolans had lived there for almost 16 years, just a mile down the road from the police station. This is the house right here. Anthony was laying like this way in front of the door. Robbie was laying in front of that flower box. On the grass. On the ground, uh-uh. In, on the concrete, at the door. Robbie was at the door. He was at the door. And he shot him from right there. Robbie so you, was right you there. Were, you were three feet away from him being shot. Yeah. Maybe five feet, but I wasn't. I mean, I was right there. I was right there. The gun was right in my face, and I saw the fire from the gun. Marion says she heard Robbie say, Oh, God. And she knew he'd been hit. And I started praying for him very loudly because I wanted to make sure that he heard me. I just thought if he can hear me praying, he'll hold on, he'll fight, because I had no idea how bad. I mean, I had no idea. I couldn't see anybody, but I heard my mom praying. And I, you know, put my hand up my shirt, and I pulled out a handful of blood, and I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened. And I heard my mom say, um, I can see smoke coming from his chest. Did did you think for a second, oh, I'm like, I'm, I'm, in, I'm dying, I'm going to die? Oh, yeah, I thought it was it. I thought it was, I thought it was a wrap. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The Tolans weren't allowed to go to Robbie. Bobby Tolan was put into the back of one police car. Marion Tolan was put into the backseat of another. They couldn't get out, and they were screaming. Officer Edwards, the first officer on the scene, began to look into the matter of the stolen car. He typed Robbie's license plate number into his computer again. And this is when he realized he'd made a mistake. 
Robbie's plate was 695-BGK. Officer Edwards had typed in 696-BGK. He got it wrong by one digit. I really, really got angry once I was in the police car and I knew Robbie hadn't stolen a vehicle and now I'm listening to the words come over the police radio, the vehicle is not stolen. And I'm looking out the window and I see a group of police officers in a huddle. Like it's like it's a quarterback and it's his teammates, like they're trying to get their story together. And um, finally, they, when they let us out, uh, Robbie had already been taken to the hospital. We watch the dash cam tapes. You can see the group of officers gathered around talking, as Bobby said. One of them is smoking a cigarette. The time stamps on those tapes show that the entire incident, from Officer Edwards telling the boys to get on the ground to Robbie being driven away in the ambulance, was just over 10 minutes long. When I was in the ambulance, I was telling the EMTs, I was like, you know, what about my parents? Where, where are my parents? Like, I need my parents. And they just kept pushing me down, cutting my shirt open, you know, putting the oxygen mask on me. And I was just like, no, like, get my parents. Like, I need my parents. And then, obviously, you know, they put me out. But when I came to, I remember someone squeezing my hand. I kind of opened my eyes a little bit, and I saw there was my parents. And I was so drugged up, um, I, I couldn't keep my eyes open. And I remember my mom saying, do you remember what happened? And I shook my head, yes. And she said, everything? And I shook my head, yes. The way Robbie Tolan's family describes it, he and his cousin were just walking up to their home after a late-night meal. So why is Tolan now hospitalized, a police officer's bullet lodged in his liver? It's a question sparking allegations of racism in this mostly white Houston suburb of Bel Air. Sergeant Cotton was placed on administrative leave. The district attorney pressed charges, aggravated assault by a public servant. The defense argued that the shooting was justified because Sergeant Cotton said he feared for his life. The jury came back with a not guilty verdict, and Sergeant Cotton went back to work. When everybody was uh, leaving the courtroom, I just, I kept sitting there. I was I like, like, no, 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 that's not what happened. Like, okay, now, now, now where's the real verdict? And then my dad, you know, hit me on the leg. He said, you know, come on, let's go. And we, we went into a, a courtroom directly across the hall from the one we were in. I, as soon as they closed the door, I lost it. I lost it. I was uh, bawling. Um, I just couldn't believe it. You know, he was, you know. I think it says a lot when, when you have the opportunity to hold somebody accountable and you just don't. At this point, the family filed a civil lawsuit, arguing that the Bel Air Police Department racially profiled Robbie and mistreated the family because of their race. And the Bel Air Police Department offered the family money to settle the case out of court. I knew that there'd be no settling. I would not settle because I knew that I would not ever shut up about what had happened. And... When there's a settlement, it's really hushed money. You can't talk, you can't disclose this, you can't disclose that. And, and that, that was not going to be a part of my life. A judge dismissed their suit on the basis of what's called qualified immunity. Qualified immunity makes it really hard to sue a police officer. Police officers are presumed to be legal and justified in their use of force unless you can somehow show that they violated your constitutional rights. It's a really high burden of proof. And when the judge dismissed our case, 
based on qualified immunity saying that the officer was doing his job we had 30 days to file an appeal and I, I didn't have the money to pay this attorney, but I promised him if you would take this case and do the best job you can, I'll sell my house and pay you. And we put our house on the market immediately. They appealed their case to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which governs Texas, Louisiana, and Mississippi, saying, we do think our constitutional rights have been violated, and don't let the other judge dismiss the case. But the Fifth Circuit rejected the appeal, also citing qualified immunity. My wife has fought every step of the way. Every time we got turned down, we went. To, she went to the next step. That step got turned down, we went to the next step. I'm a, I, I feel that Bel Air figured that we've got some black people here, they're going to go away. You know, we've been, he's been proven not guilty, it's going to die down, but they don't know my wife. In October of 2013, they appealed again, this time to the U.S. Supreme Court. About 10,000 petitions are submitted to the Supreme Court every year. They only take on about 80, and they took the Tolan's case. In May of 2014, all nine justices agreed unanimously, which is remarkable in its own right, that the Fifth Circuit was wrong to dismiss the Tolan's case. It's called an error correction. Basically, the justices criticized the Fifth Circuit for only considering Sergeant Cotton's version of events and not what Robbie and Marion say happened. So they will get to tell their story to a jury. I think the real hero in all of this is Marion Tolan. This is attorney Benjamin Crump. The Tolans hired him to represent them in the new trial, which will take place in September. Over the past few years, Crump has worked on a number of cases involving unarmed black men shot by white police officers. He represented the families of Trayvon Martin and Michael Brown. All America is looking at these cases of alleged excessive force by police officers, and they're saying, will there ever be justice uh, handed down to the the people of color, the unarmed people of color who are getting shot by these police officers? And... Robbie Tolan is going to be a huge matter to answer that question. In all those other cases, they died, but Robbie Tolan lived to tell, and that may make all the difference. And we absolutely believe, as Ms. Tolan has said about her son over and over again, God left him here for a reason. Robbie is 29 now. The gunshot wound and the pain, which is lasting and sometimes vicious, have pretty much ended his baseball career. He does some coaching and lives at home. Robbie says he misses baseball, especially now when his friends have gone off to spring training. I have to wake up every day and choose to be happy and choose not to be resentful, especially when, you know, a lot of my teammates are now in the major leagues and, you know, I got guys, uh, you know, calling me all the time and and, and um, coaches that I still talk to and that still check on me. Um, it knocked me off the path that I thought I was supposed to be on, but now I'm on this new path. And, um, that's, um, you know, that's something that I have to, to, to accept. Robbie's parents say he's different now. He's quiet. He gets depressed. And of course, he's still got that bullet lodged in his liver. Every morning when he goes to the bathroom and takes a shower, you know, he's got to see the big scar from his chest all the way down below his belly button and knowing the bullets there, he's got to live with cotton the rest of his life. 
The new trial date is slated for September 14th. The Tolans told us again and again that they're fighting this hard, selling their house to pay for the appeals, appealing those appeals, not just for themselves, but for the victims who didn't survive and can't dispute what the police say happened. As for what the police say, we reached out to Sergeant Cotton for this story, but he told us in an email that he can't comment on pending litigation. We got the same response from everyone we contacted at the Bel Air Police Department. Sergeant Cotton still works there. In the years since the shooting, he's been promoted to lieutenant. Criminal is produced by Lauren Spohr, Eric Menel, and me. Julianne Alexander does our episode art. We're excited to announce that we're putting on a live show in Brooklyn this summer, July 15th at the Bell House. We've got details on our website, thisiscriminal.com. And we're on Facebook and Twitter, at Criminal Show. Criminal is a proud member of Radiotopia from PRX. Check out the other shows at radiotopia.fm. If you're interested in supporting us and other podcasts like ours, email sponsor at prx.org. We're trying to understand how you listen to the show and what we could be doing better. We've got a survey up at surveynerds.com criminal. It's quick and anonymous. Radiotopia from PRX is made possible with support from the Knight Foundation and MailChimp, celebrating creativity, chaos, and teamwork. I'm Phoebe Judge. This is Criminal. Radiotopia. Radiotopia.